There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business or, let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5K. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by B21, a platform which helps you start your journey with cryptocurrencies. Visit b21.io slash hustleshare and get $2 upon signing up. Also powered by Podmetrics, the only analytics platform you'll ever need for your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code hustleshare. That was really my first agenda. Like, even if you disagree, I want to hear it still and give me the full rationale of it. And I want to make sure that it's not just me who hears it, but the entire team. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share podcast. We are now going to have one of the most legit startups in the Philippines. They've been around for a while. And... Uh, Real recognize, real. I've always saying uh, they're literally blazing the trail for the education sector in you know tech startups here in the Philippines. But before I get carried away, I need to properly welcome their CEO, the CEO of Education.ph, Miss Grace David. Welcome to the show, Grace. To really have a chat with you. All right, thanks so much again. It's a long time coming, and I apologize if it got a little delayed. You know, we're both busy running our startups, but again, real recognize, real. You've been around for a while, 
And um, I want to find out how this company was built from scratch. Because mm-hmm. I know it wasn't easy. And education is easily one of the hardest sectors in any type of country, per se, to bring in innovation. Especially in a third world country like us. Okay, good luck to us. So, first things first, before we get started, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Grace, what's your hustle? What's my hustle? So, I'll answer that question sharing with you briefly my career. So, I'm not into startup. My background is in tech. Mm. I'm not professionally trained to be in the education space, um, but I've always been passionate about learning, about the youth, about kids. My starting point of my hustle was in a family business, a construction business. And then there actually moved after it got bankrupt, uh, Mm. moved to to corporate when I graduated. And then kids of my career started there but has always been so passionate about education. So I've been doing volunteer work in education, but it has been separate, doing corporate work, career, versus um, a vocation to, to education. That's so, amazing. That's the start. <laughs> All right. So you pretty much mapped out what we're going to do next because typically we go into the time machine and we don't know where the fuck I'm going with you, right? But you gave us a good outline. So that's great because today, we were going to dissect that one by one. The, the whole map that you just sold now, answering what's your hustle. Because we're going to have to ride the hustle share time machine. That's great. Okay, now we're all the way back. We're back in the cement and the lumps of you know lumber that's here. Uh, that you're, you're here. Because I want to find out if your background in business and your upbringing was done through a construction business and you had a family business. A lot of entrepreneurs and hustlers have been there before, have been ingrained, and they subliminally, they don't even know that they that a lot of what their parents taught them sticks through them for life. But this is uh, the gift that keeps on giving, though. And you know, not everybody's fortunate to have that type of training at that early age. I want to understand from your point of view, Grace, um, you said that, that was your path into business and, and profession and whatnot. Describe to me, running that construction business, what were the things that you learned and what was taught for you? Because if you're an advocate of learning, you need to get first dibs on a lot of those things. What was that like? So for me, the critical item I learned there, cash management. So cash management and client management. So it's really making sure that even if you're getting signed contracts with very good margin, but if the cash is not coming in, you will still not have enough money to pay off um, your workers, your suppliers. So, so that one biggest learning. And client management, we're in, there's a respect of your contract. I mean, yeah. doing good faith is, I mean, definitely that's your starting point. Mm-mm. But if your client is already missing payments and you continue to progress the work, order all the materials, continue hiring more workers to progress and uh, really make sure that you deliver things on time, even if your client is the one who's not paying you on time anymore, those are complete red flags. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that if you actually start slowing down, it doesn't question your, your faith. Uh, towards your client. It's just you respecting the agreement, the signed agreement you have. So it's balancing on 
um, the formal agreements and reflecting mm-hmm. that formal agreements in your actual execution. Got so it. those things I learned early on because um, that was my my job when I was my dad's right hand in my college days. College. So you were dealing with this during college. And this is yeah. grown-up stuff, to be honest with you. And and it's still rampant till now. You know, mm-hmm. uh, say in the, in the dev misses. Anything B2B, to be honest, right? Yeah. In the Philippines, you're always short because you're contract uh, rich. You have a lot of accounts receivable, yes. but you're cash low. You know, you don't have cash flow. You have payroll. And again, you have fulfillments to have to do. So, and from what I've observed is that it's, it's, a, it's a trend that gets just passed on from the mm. beginning of the chain all the way to the bottom. And yeah. whoever holds the back last will be the unfortunate soul who will take the brunt of the hit, right? So that's the, that's the big challenge that we're, we're having right now. But during those, and, and that's still rampant back then, as a kid going through that stuff, and you know, in, in college, how were you able to cope given that your suppliers are not paying on time or nobody's ordering their contract and you have to deliver and build something for them? How do you find the right balance? It's being comfortable to make the hard decisions. So I think when we were faced in that situation, it showed different personality and how each of the family member behaved and react to a situation. Because our family was so much involved into it. Um, that's how we made the structured lean and cheap in terms of workforce. So us siblings were very much involved. My dad is the one heading it. But I've seen also in that challenge that some of the family members turned out to be shocked and frozen and just like really finding it unreal. So I had to step up immediately, make the hard call, make the decisions. Because like, I mean, I'm seeing our cash and I, I'm seeing already... Our workers, um, that were, we were delayed by two, three weeks of payment. And just imagine, those are construction workers who would go home every weekend. So I really felt the tension and the burden. And the only way actually that we could immediately address the concern is to start selling some of our assets. So oh my God. I, I mean, it was difficult, but it was the best decision to make. Like I saw our, our car garage wherein it had this ex- vehicles that we were using for, for business start we were losing it them one by one until we said like wow. this is the minimum count so that we could still somehow operate and let allow my, my parents to go to work right so right. difficult decision but at least it's not completely like we're we've dissolved it so right okay and you mentioned earlier before we wrote the time machine that it, it failed it went bankrupt so after college, I joined this this uh, one of my mentors, Alexis Dabon, into a venture about a call center business that he was recruited to. And me being like this protege, I, it's not about the money. I just wanted to learn. Long story short, that venture failed. They weren't able to pay rent. They were sneaking out whatever they can sneak out from the office because they're going to get locked out. And when I saw that fucking failure, I was like, shit, so this is the real world. It's savage, right? And I knew from the get-go, straight out of college, that, my God, I need to step up. I cannot experience this again because that leaves an indelible mark for you. For you, what did that uh, experience give you? And what did you do next to make sure that you don't experience that again? Because I'm pretty sure you felt the same. And if that's too personal for you, that's your family. Me, I was just like another whatever guy there. So what did that teach you? And 
what did that do for you to, to continue hustling now to that new path that you took? Yeah. Well, first off, it just showed how much I value my family. Like going through that, um, yeah, it was difficult. But, but because you're doing it to make sure that um, your family is well, then yeah, I'm, I'm willing to go through it and do it with them. Uh, that's, that's first. Then secondly is there are things that are with your direct control. You could right. have avoided it if you had that consciousness up front and were already making the right decisions early on. Because you ka na lang at the last at the last mile. So that's why you're not able to correct it anymore because it's completely broken. So yeah. for me, those are like the two main things that I carry with me up to this point. It's, yeah. it's really value of family and value of cash management. <laughs> there you go. Now now I, I understand why you are the CEO of education now. Because you need you need to have two things early on while you're learning in your early 20s. I feel like this is what a lot of people don't get to develop early. Number one is you have to learn how to be a bad cop. You need to learn how to how to be the dick in the room that you know will make the hard hard decisions. And number two you need to develop your own breaks as a business. Because all, all startup entrepreneurs are, are blessed with the accelerator uh, pedal. We all know how to pump and go 100 miles per hour. But not everybody is blessed to even recognize that you need to step on the brake sometimes to make the right decision or take a U-turn or a detour. Because if you continue to plow through, you're going to go run off a cliff, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, now Grace, I want to understand what you did next. So business is over. You have to step up for sure. Walk to me your first few stints in in Manila while you're still in Manila uh, before you went expat on us, right? I want to understand what were those first few jobs and what did you learn in those first few jobs that you, you got? Yeah. So when I was in college, I discovered marketing. And then really fell in love with brand management. So, so in one of like the projects on how you could humanize a brand. So after graduation, I made it a point that I will not just take any job. I really want to be in marketing and I really want to be in brand. So finally, an opportunity came. So six months later after graduation, finally, I could say I have a job while all my other friends were already busy doing their nine to six job. No? So parang yeah. finally, I, I landed a job. I signed up a contract saying that I will be handling a soft drinks brand that's going wow. to be reframed for the youth. So I said like, okay. yay, this is nice. It's for the youth. And it really is aligned to my values. And then okay. on my day one, the group manager tells me the bigger brand of our category needs resource. And it's a beer brand. <laughs> and I'm not a beer drinker, Ron. Just wow. imagine on my first day, on my very first <laughs> boss tells you, I need you uh, to be uh, in charge of the bigger brand. And the bigger brand, it's not soft drinks. It's, it's actually alcohol. <laughs> And it's a beer brand. And wow. the pressure, like, do I say no? Do I, of course, I don't want to lose the job. So I said right. yes. And that's where the first job journey started. Uh, and it was nice. <laughs> nice. So, it, 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 wow. That's a switcheroo right from the get-go. Felt like a, you know, like, whoop, I did not sign up for this. But a lot of first-time corporate people, because not everybody, I, I, I've always believed that entrepreneurs are built. Nobody's born. Even if you're you're born out of, 
you know, a wealthy family, you, you have to earn your stripes because you cannot run a business if you haven't been to war, right? There's just no way, right? No matter how blessed you are, right? And a lot of these people that went through their first job are very particular about liking what they have. And they don't have an idea. But when you experience that, that switcheroo that you got, how did you still convince yourself that, hey, this might be good? And was there any intentionality over the things you wanted to learn in that stint? I, I wanted to learn marketing. So, and because obviously my, my learning during that time was all about the books and the classroom discussion, obviously that was still so shallow. So yeah. for me, it was still brand management. It was still marketing. Um, so thankfully I said yes on that first day. No? Got so, it. so yeah. Got it. Now after the beer, you went to cheese or whatever craft is. I, I don't know what craft. All I know it's craft is synonymous to cheese in my life. What yeah. did you do? With craft, then when you switch it, because you you stayed there for five years, and here you are really already a manager. How did the responsibilities change, and what did you apply now, knowing that you know marketing from that previous stint? Yeah, marketing as a discipline, I would say, yeah, it's it's pretty much the same, but how each organization would be practicing marketing will still be different. So in this local company, marketing was really I mean, I would say my exposure on advertising work, dealing, uh, dealing with agencies, bringing out like sexy campaigns and events. Right. I, I learned that on my first job in San Miguel. Mm-hmm. Um, now, going now to a global company uh, from a youth brand, going to a mommy brand. And then, of course, uh, the, the discipline of checking on your youth parameters versus mommy parameters are obviously different. And right. it took my marketing to a different level altogether because the discipline of marketing in this global company, okay. it's nice to do all those sexy marketing stuff, but right. it should also be grounded on financials. And for me, that's when my marketing and business sense got honed more. So... Uh, yeah, that was that was really the story um, career-wise. But I think what what I want also to share, there was a struggle in my mind when I was going through those. You see, I didn't graduate from a big school, not from a tier one, and I was bringing that insecurity with me starting day one when on my job, and it felt like. I always had to prove myself more uh, when I'm doing things uh, mm-hmm. because I'm not like some of my coaches who are graduates of those big universities. What's so, your beda and magna cum laude though? That's still, what, what, what are you talking about? Of course, we all have our insecurities inside, right? But dude, you are magna cum laude. A magna cum laude anywhere is a magna cum laude anywhere. And that's beda, right? It's not just whatever school. In my book, it's one of the top out there, right? You talk NCAA, my God. This is this is the top school in there, right? So, how did you overcome that? I'm thankful because um, th- that's why I think I had that mindset. I've got to work extra hard to make sure that I will be qualified. I will be seen to be part of their league. So, so that's the one that actually pushed me. Like I- I've got to really give good quality of work, and even yeah. if like um, there are times that oh my projects are not as great as what um, others are doing. It, it just, instead of like giving up, it fueled me like, no, I, I, I want to be better. I, I want to like find out how I could still contribute meaningfully to it. Got it. So 
that was my season uh, when it. I actually the craft. So that was a chip on your shoulder. And knowingly, I mean, some people, uh, when we hustle, and I had a similar chip, right? You know, uh, I was put up in by my mom in very good schools. I always felt insecure because my classmates were either the sons or daughters or the grandchildren of senators. And who am I, this freaking whatever kid hanging out with these, with, with these, with these people. So there's a lot of insecurity. And again, I had a chip on my shoulder. I had to hustle hard, you know, having that insecurity and fueling into a chip on your shoulder. Not everybody goes through that or not everybody gets to go over that hump. Because sometimes it eats them alive and refu- the, the byproduct is they refuse to step out and they have a deference to these people like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just like this. Eh? I'm not going to do it because maybe I'll fail in all these things. Mm-hmm. Give me some examples of how you overcame that and used your in, your, that, that, that hunger compared to what your peers was doing. Because that's what I want to find out. Because if you had that chip on your shoulder, regardless of where you are in life, it actually sticks with you forever. You, you, you just have that. It's just like Michael Jordan, right? Uh, I'll just segue a little bit. Michael Jordan got cut in his uh, basketball team in high school. Mm-hmm. And he swore to God that, yo, I will never get cut again. So he practiced, even if he, he's already Michael Jordan winning six championships, he still worked hard like that. What was that like for you? For me, um, I think... It was still difficult, obviously, but it was a choice. Am I going to look at this opportunity half glass empty or half glass full? So for me, it was first the perspective that, you know what, if there are certain projects that were being given, I mean, of course, like in an organization, there are like nice projects that you would want to be part of, right? Those are like the, in the radar scale of top management. Um, but at the same time, there are projects that are just so-so. Mm-hmm. There are times, so even if I get assigned to the me so so project, I made sure that I had the opportunity to really give my best and not just to give my best, to see value in that. And that's mm-hmm. where it all started. So when others thought, oh, if they put me on that project, it means I'm not so good talent, I'd better resign. I'm thankful that I didn't take that route. But said, I took it as a challenge. You know what? That's still a project. That's an opportunity for me to learn. An opportunity for me to let management know the value of things here. And I'm thankful that I took that route. It was a good learning experience. And that's when I started getting recognized. That the small things that gets assigned to you, you were able to make it good and move it. And then because... They, they, they could see that results are coming out. Then it paved the way for me to, to, to handle bigger projects, to get bigger roles in the organization. So, I mean, just looking at that history from like just, just being on the last part. I mean, the truth yeah. is in an organization, your talents will always be bucketed. And mm. seeing myself getting trusted with bigger projects, getting trusted that, I could be the right hand, always the OIC if there's someone who's missing and finally getting the role. So difficult journey, uh, more more work, more hard work that was required, but it's the kind of journey that that strengthened my character and really sharpened my skill set. 
Absolutely. All right. Now let's take our first break. And when we come back, let's now talk about what Grace did and applied all that hustle and all those learning. Not not locally anymore, but internationally. Right. But let's talk about that more after the break. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We are still with Grace Devin, who now taught us how she was able to rise up the ranks and shoot every single stereotype she was boxed in in the Philippines. But, you know, the Philippines is not the upside because at the end of the day, I think that was just, you know, character forming. But the breakthrough didn't happen here. I want to understand now, after the Philippines, you went to, again, craft, but now in Singapore, right? And again, eventually going to Thailand. Sawarika. There you go. So I'm not sure. I've never been to Thailand. So I'm just trying to pretend that I, I do know. But walk me through that. What was it like, you know, being an expat now, right? A lot of Filipinos take this route. Mm-hmm. And... It's sad to say because it's mostly our most talented countrymen going out and they experience the brain drain. They never want to come back. Ah. We'll talk about that later. But what did you do uh, and what were the opportunities that you, you took charge of uh, overseas? And how did that develop you now into the leader that you are? Okay. It's funny because every time that I would have a career move, it starts really with with something personal, the kind of change I need to do at the personal level. I wanted to learn how to be independent. 
and it meant moving out of my parents' place. Wow. The Office of Craft during that time was only 15 minutes away from my parents' house. So in their mind, they could not accept the fact like, why would you move out when, when this home is actually just 15 minutes away from, from your office? Right. And then this international opportunity came about. So mm-hmm. for me, it's a nice career move, but it's very much aligned also to my personal goal because I really want to learn how it is to be independent. So that was like the, the first uh, main reason why it was a good opportunity. And secondly, uh, my boss there is the one who I was working with uh, before. So uh, when he got that uh, new business unit, I was thankful that I was his top of mind to be one of the marketing persons in his team. And nice. that's really the international career started. Got it. All right. So you stepped out of your comfort zone. Pretty sure you mapped out already the things that you're going to do. But I'm pretty sure even if you map that out, there's going to be a lot of shocking and scary things that you experience. So walk me through two things. What was it like in the corporate environment? This is very un-Philippine-like for sure. And number two, how was life like outside of the office? Because now your comfort zone is not there at all. How did yeah. you become the independent woman that you wanted to be? Okay. So first on the on the corporate office life there, it's really embracing different levels of changes. So even if it's still craft, I'm familiar with the product portfolio. Obviously, the culture is a big shift. So Singapore in itself um, has its own culture. And because when you get inside the office, it's a diverse set of nationalities. And of course... Right different way of uh, interacting. What I've learned there is really how to, how to adapt. So speaking English is not enough for you to be sure that they understood you. So, so for me, getting to understand culture, not just culture of the country, culture of the organization and every individual that you get to speak to. So that one allowed me to be more versatile on how you could be effective in communicating. It's, mm. it's always like you're or you're on a selling mode, even if you're always actually internally with your same team, right? So mm. that's what it taught me. And um, on a personal level, I think what I enjoyed is I discovered um, a different side of me. I was not an outdoor person at all. I'm not so much into sports, but um, after like uh, having that experience um, abroad, I got mm. exposed different circles of friends. I, I got to discover the life outdoor and I enjoyed it. So after that, that's great. You know, you, you now have a new life, like literally in, inside and out, Grace. Now, walk me through how you then breeze through all these in, uh, opportunities. Because after craft, you did Cadbury Adams and then five years in Mondelez, again, in different countries. Yeah. But for each stop, just give me highlights of what you learned because what I also want to find out is, is um, again, the leadership skills. For you to mm-hmm. be that diverse and be adaptive to any type of environment, any culture and whatnot, what did you develop as a leader, regardless of where you're being thrown at, for you to be able to, to again, uh, get the necessary results and also have impact on the people you lead? What was that like? Yeah. So... The first stop was in Singapore. And right. uh, though I was based in Singapore, I was managing multiple countries. So I was just like, every week there would be new country that I would be flying to. So it was like 
non-stop traveling. Suki um, in the Changi. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so for me, the, the biggest learning there is that even if like you have limited interaction with your team, you could make it meaningful by being present. So, I mean, just imagine the kind of preparations you have to do prior to every trip so that when you finally land and be in that local office, your laptop is down and you're there just to make sure to have that face-to-face conversation uh, with your team. So for me, biggest learning um, while I was in Singapore is being present. And being present means you're ready to truly listen to what your office mate, your peer is telling you, not based on your interpretation of the words they've said, especially this was my first international assignment. So I really had to make sure that how I understood their words, Uh um, communication is exactly how they meant it. So for me, that kind of presence and quality of conversation of no interpretation yet, but just like making sure that you picked up the message exactly how they authored it. Um, that's that's a kind of skill um, wow. I learned. And I'm thankful that I learned that on my first stop in my international journey. Right. Because when you, when you inject culture, and even if they're all speaking English, the way they use the English words and how they say it. Totally different. Completely different. So, yeah. so for me, being able to practice that on my first stop became very useful. So communication would be effective. So that was uh, my Singapore story. Then moved to Thailand uh, when um, Kraft has acquired Cadbury. So that was my my first um, experience of an acquisition. So wow. all different level of changes again, because apart from just culture, because it's a new country and um, obviously English is not their first language. Yes. So it, adds up to actually the the, the change um, that, that needs to be managed. Then on top of that, because it's acquisition, I am also managing two different cultures that's getting merged. The legacy craft and the legacy Cadbury being wow. combined. And of course, um, top management is a combination also of two different cultures. Um, how are you going to be effective when everyone else is also managing change? And that's when the power of being personally engaged, really genuinely wanting to know them is is important. So that's when I started valuing learning a local language. So really tried to to speak Thai, but unfortunately, I'm not really a um, multilinguistic person. So um, the attempt uh, of, of really learning it is actually something that the locals have value so so they value that so um, at least getting connected to them uh, was much easier so so that was um, my Thailand learning and then after three years moved to my last stop of international assignment and that was in Indonesia uh, a bar right there oh, it's easier yeah. there because there's more bar- borrowed words okay yes. kanan is kanan you know. <laughs> so may mga Tagalog words that gulay I can... is gulay you know it's the same Right. Uh, yeah. So so there are like yeah, um common words that, that we could use. Actually more kapampangan words than Tagalog words that are common between the two languages. Wow, I didn't know that. So so it was interesting. And for me, what I've learned there is the culture of religion on how it could actually define what would be the work ethics, the practices, and having full respect of it. Uh there are things that you cannot change. And you need to accept that. So knowing that there are 
practices, um, especially when it comes to cultures that you really cannot change, how do you practice respect of that culture, of that faith that they practice, that religion, um, as it gets reflected in your in your day-to-day work? That one is my key learning uh, while I was in, in Indonesia. So as you can see in, my, in the journey of that international assignments, yes, there are a lot of hard skills I've learned in, my, in, in the career, but the really meaningful one is, is the human aspect of it that gets reflected in culture, um, yeah. in practices, and their behavior. And those elements we cannot ignore as we do business. Very important because... But the things that execution, those are the elements that, that becomes powerful um, to really make sure that you're able to execute your business plans well. Got it. All right. Two things I wanted to ask, uh, circling back to what we were discussing earlier. It's mm-hmm. easy to use your bad cop persona that you developed early and you understood early. When it's your locals, your peers, you know, the culture differences are there. You know, yeah. our culture similarities are there. Filipino, ah, you know, I'll just scold you and whatever. I know that you'll think like this here, Filipino. How mm-hmm. did you use your bad cop persona when things didn't go right with other cultures? That's something that I've never asked here in this podcast before because nobody, there's not a lot who has this type of experience. But how do you become a bad cop in a different culture when you have to? Well, it's, it's making your no one know. And having it clear up front. And, and that's something actually I, I learned not early on in my international assignment. Because at the end of the day, I was still getting based in, I mean, that was in Southeast Asia. And you know how it is with Asians, how extra polite we are. Yep. That what you really meant is a no, you don't say it, it's a no. <laughs> so yeah. long yung, yung back and forth work and the surprises are really happening on the deadline itself. Correct. So... So I went through those uh, mistakes of like getting surprised on the deadline na lang na hindi pala talaga kaya. And it's because I didn't get to practice upfront of having that clarity that your no is a no and your yes is a yes. So right. for me, that was like the biggest learning and I, I wish I practiced it early on. But yeah. I think what's also nice is um, my personality, I'm not, I'm not a I'm not someone who's going to be shouting or like being way too aggressive when, when, mm. when saying things. So I think what's nice is even if it's a no, because it's just really my nature to still say things um, politely, it mm. doesn't come across, at least in my perspective, it doesn't come across way too harsh mm. compared to like with other nationalities. Yeah. Na parang, I mean, they, they don't mean something bad, but because right. that's just, how they express things. So for me, it, I'd like to say that it is to my advantage that even if it's a no, it doesn't, the, the emotional tension is not as strong as how yeah. other cultures will be saying their no. And I can, I can imagine you getting mad and just uh, listening to your voice, right? It sounds, <laughs> there's the lambing to it, right? The sweetness to it. So you're, you're it's like, you're pretty, if, if you're getting, you know, reprimanded on, but it still sounds like it's lambing. So it's okay. I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I'm intense. I can typically shout sometimes and I cuss. So, <laughs> so again, but I'm the type of guy that also, there's no in between. Eh? This is it. This is take it or leave it. But, you know, I always say, I always make it a point also as a leader that, yes, I'm going to put you through hell, but I'm the first guy that'll pick you up. 
I'm never gonna throw you under the bus. I just wanna make sure that you got the fucking message right. right <laughs> but you okay. know what? Something I just want to add to that. Hmm. Because that is my personality. That's why I want to work with individuals like how you describe yourself. Because that's the kind of partnership that you need um, in running a team. Because sometimes, because, yeah, my voice has that lambeng, uh, pero I really mean when I say, I want you to do this. So, meantime, I need to partner with someone I see in the team who has that stronger personality to echo the same. Because, like, it seems like Grace is more forgiving. So, I All need... Right. Always identify in the team who has that stronger personality, who would say it louder than me so that they also know that it is a serious direction. Got it. All right. Last question before we now talk about education and how you went to the startup land with us. Let's talk about brain drain. Pretty mm-hmm. sure a lot of what you've learned through Mandalis, through Kerry, and again, uh, all these stops overseas. People, our best talent, our big, biggest export as a country is our, is our talent. Yeah. It's sad. And a lot of our Filipino, you know, uh, the di- diaspora, right, that's out there now, don't want to come back. What led you to come back? Because that's also why we lack some talent sometimes. Because the people who are sometimes most qualified to create startups, to, to create new opportunities for the people here, doesn't want to come back anymore. And I can't blame them. That's fine. But for you, why did you decide to come back and, and uh, run it back here and make, make impact here? Because I really wanted to be in the education space. Um, so when I was in those international assignments, I will still do volunteer work um, teaching uh, on weekends. And obviously, I was limited because I cannot really speak the local language in those countries. Makes so sense. for me to be effective, um, to, to be effective in contributing to the education space, speaking the local language was, was really a, a strong parameter that has to be present. So coming back to the Philippines was really the best option. So, so there. So being in the education space, Space, what what made me finally decide that I'm I'm coming home? Wow, that that's that would have been scary again because here <laughs> you are, fully independent, fully aware of who you are now. And what led you then to join Education? Because uh, you started out as a senior impact manager 2019, and yes. at, uh, when do you, when you joined them, paint to me what Education was because. I've heard of them. I don't know. When did they start? 2015, 2016? Uh, or 20, even for 2014? I'm not sure. They're, they've been around for quite a while. And when you came in, what was that like? So I came back in the Philippines wanting to be in the education space, but I don't have a network yet. And of course, being away for like eight years, I have to like uh, uh, reorient myself again. Yeah. So Filipino my again. first uh, <laughs> job with education was just me finally making a decision. Uh, I, I just, I don't know exactly what I could do in the education space, but I need to make time. So I resigned from corporate, mm-hmm. ju- uh, jump into a project and it was really project based first. It was a nice first project because it was grassroots level of, uh, of a project. Mm. And I was really going to different barangays uh, checking out the youth if they were interested to get a scholarship. And uh, and 
I was shocked really on the condition um, of, of our education and even of our youth. And then the question in my mind during that time, do I have to let go of my corporate skills and build new set of skills so that I could be effective in the education space? Because my hypothesis during that time, I think I should get like um, units in education uh, mm-hmm. so I could be effective. But I was thankful of getting that exposure of that first project with education because it showed showed me what really is the root problem uh, of our education. And at the same time, it showed me that my corporate skills is required in the education space so that we could create a cycle of revenue and profit growth. Because without that, how could we create continuity of projects and support that we could give? So for me, that project stint uh, was a confirmation that I do not need to let go of my corporate skills. In fact, that is what's needed. And I was happy with that realization because I know I could be effective. And then from that experience, um, that's when my conversation with Henry, who's the founder of Education, Mm -mm. continued. And different roles have opened up in the organization. Got it. Now, I, I want to understand because up till now, I know you guys are B2B, right? Mm-hmm. But from an outsider's point of view looking in, I still don't fully grasp what education does. So for an idiot like me who's again looking at this, <laughs> right? From an outsider, I, I just know you're doing great work. But I'm pretty sure if I... I, I'm like this. I, there's a lot of people who wanted to ask that million dollar question. So what, what do you guys exactly do? And what's your role? How did that role that or those opportunities to, 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 to go up and contribute better uh, change over time in line with what you guys were trying to do? Yeah. So education, we want to make sure that our youth is receiving the right information so that when they make decisions on their education and career, they're well informed. So that's that's where we want to play. So you see, it's it's a long journey. It's really from education all the way to employment or, or starting a career. Because the problem we want to solve, it's really from, I mean, uh, let me just share the funnel. So right. before the pandemic, Every, every year at an average, there's about like uh, 4 million senior high school students who gets wow. to grad. But out of that 4 million, not everyone gets to college. So yeah, that, that's one, a drop off. Yeah, that one gets cut to half. What? Then, yep. So then only half of that gets to college. And then cut it further, only 40% of that number lands to a job where they... Oh my God. So for us, just tackling like improving education will not be enough. It has to be with a consciousness of what's that career that they're pursuing. What is really their passion? And we can't be identifying that passion, that skill set and interest at the end of the funnel. We, We don't want to waste that years of learning just to find out that you're still not fit to land to a certain job. And then more so find out that that job doesn't exist anymore by the time you graduate, right? So it really is that long journey. Right now, what we do is to make sure that we have partners who could actually touch on those different journey points of our students, of our youth. So that's why you would be seeing us very much involved on projects, not just on learning, not just on like school activities, but also the awareness about different careers. And then what would kind of 
path they could take if that is the career that they want. Like for instance, right now, especially with this pandemic, you actually really don't need a four-year college degree to be qualified as a tech person in a startup or oh. as a digital marketing person in, in, right. in a FMCG in a what FMCG industry, right? Because right. there are specific skill set already that is needed, and that alone qualifies you. But for us to be able to practice that in the industry, we've got to touch an entire ecosystem, not just the students, including the schools, and more so the parents. So just wow. see the magnitude of work that needed to be done so that we could make the change happen. So that's where education is present. And actually, your very question of like, so what does really education do? It looks murky. Because we're present in too many things, but because that's the kind of impact that mm. we need to do in the entire ecosystem. So that's our B2B life. Having different partners so that we could um, be present on those different touch points. But right now, our job is how could we create focus and how could we make sure that at least on one touch point, we're able to make a dent. And that's, that's kind of um, refocusing we're doing right now as an organization. So that's on the B2B. On the B2C, it's really all about um, what we offer to the students directly. If you would go to our website, all the information meant for our students are for free. So that wow. one, we're continuing to do some testing to find out what do students completely value that there is willingness to pay. Now, this is not just a conversation of monetizing it. I mean, at the end of the day, we are also business people. Uh, we've right. got to we've got to find a way how to create that cycle of revenue and profit. It is important to answer that question, not just on a monetization point of view, but so that we get to have a full understanding of what does the youth value right now. And to be honest, nahihirapan ako hanapin pagdating sa education space. There is willingness to pay on all other sectors, especially when this pandemic happened. We thought this was already the game changer for us. Um, because everything is already online. But yep. you know, it was easy for, for our youth to go to, to FinTech, to switch actually in other sectors and to fully embrace and have that willingness to pay on the digital world. Yeah. But we're all trying to crack what is it in education. So wow. right now, there might be something deeper on how they look at education, how they value it. And that's what we're trying to understand deeper. Um, so that's why our user understanding, student journey reviews uh, are really are an on- ongoing exercise for us. That's so challenging, but it sounds... Now, now, now I'm, I'm, I'm not wondering why you're so hooked to this because it's such a tough problem to solve. And a lot of people are trying to solve this at the same time. There's, not, there's no right or wrong answer. But if you're that obsessed towards solving this problem and you're, you're, you're in deep for several years into this now, no wonder that that fire just keeps on burning as well. But Grace, before we um, continue and can, uh, ask you how you became CEO of Education, <laughs> let's take our last break and discuss now uh, how you then uh, became CEO, what your leadership was like and how you're, again, leading Education to solve this problem over this crazy, crazy pandemic. Let's talk about that more after the break. 
Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey, hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with GCash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag Uno Ready Savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag Uno Earn or hashtag Uno Boost Time Deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag Uno Earn Earn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. 
Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from the break. We're still with Grace David, who is now back in the motherland, trying to solve this crazy uh, problem that we that's been looming in our education system in the Philippines because it needs a lot of help and it's deteriorating time over time because of the quality or at least the gap of the education from the upper schools all the way to the grassroots. It's a big chasm, right? And if that's what you're trying to solve, that is. If you solve it, or just portions of it, you're already making a big impact. But I want to understand, Grace, from a hustler's point of view, you went from senior impact manager, chief partnerships officer, CMO, all the way to now your newest role to be CEO. I want to understand, because not a lot of tech startups, especially in the Philippines, who who get that that leadership change, and again, be, it being alien here, how did that transition happen? Because for for the longest time, Henry was education, and education was Henry. Yes. Right, and yes. for you to get that baton now and plow further, you know that would have been a scary scary thing to to have, uh, and challenging as well at the, at at the same time. Walk me through that process, how you got that role, and how did that dynamic change? So when I joined Education, Henry was already on a search on who could be the next CEO. So mm-hmm. on my second month as an impact manager, he already opened up to me like he sees me to be the next CEO. And just imagine the shock on my face. Like I just started in the education space. I'm still like, trying to figure out exactly things that I could be doing. And this is what I hear from from Henry. So it shocked me, but it also excited me because like looking into my career, I really want to to pave a path of becoming a country manager of of a business unit. So it was aligned actually, not just on the vocation aspect of it, but also where I want to build my career. So that that openness uh, of conversation we were having um, early on, uh, of course, prepared me. And I like how he designed it because I was so timeline-based. Like, okay, by X number of months, I should have learned the skill and all that. Um, so then I know I'll be ready for the next one. That's why, as you would see, my, my journey was like taking into a, a bigger role every certain period of time. Yeah. What I appreciate with Henry, instead of like defining it as time-based, because that that's adding personal pressure on me, yeah. he was looking more into milestones. And mm. just by reframing it from a timeline versus a milestone. So instead of like looking at um period of time as your uh, variable, it was really more on like my experience and my, my skill set getting leveled up. 
So it was really looking more into that. So it was nice that I started with partnerships because I got to meet our clientele base. Yeah, front lines. Yeah, exactly. And then really being in front of the client, hearing out what are their pain points, and at the same time, comparing it with their product portfolio. So even if I was not yet very much involved with product during that time, but because... I mean, when I'm in front of the client, I know what I'm selling. But at the same time, I could already tell whether it's, if it's misfit <laughs> to what my, my clients are asking. So it was a good exposure of like, how do we build revenue? Well, at the same time, knowing what are the improvements we could have on our product portfolio. And okay. then from partnerships, moving to marketing. Of course, marketing is my base skill. So, so for me, it was it was a, a good add-on. So I, I could immediately find a good um, story to tell uh, while also building, finding out what could be the brand foundation of education. So, so that was really the milestone. And the very last one that got added to my responsibility was really the financials. And that one took me to a different level um, of perspective on how we could really improve management uh, completely of education. And because corporate is my background, I think what I also appreciated, all this um, startup semantics of series A, series B, <laughs> all right, um, uh, the, all the share cap um, items. So those are yep. the added learning. So I could be better off in managing uh, the full story of education. Absolutely. Now, other than those responsibilities, of course, the main responsibility when you then became CEO is leading the tribe, right? Two things I want to ask. How did you get buy-in? Because again, everybody was looking to Henry for the longest time and you have to prove yourself, even though you were there for, the long, for a long time as well. You know, things will, there, there are going to be subtle changes. How did you get the buy-in from the team that you are now the new leader of the tribe? And second, how did your leadership style change given all those, those, those big new responsibilities that you had to come, uh, you, you had to uh, take care of, but also now take care of the vision, the mission, and everybody, everything else in between as CEO? Yeah. So two things for me that, that I would say that prepared not just me, but also the team um, to, to have me their new leader. One is really the passion towards that vision. I mean, no question for me, I'm really here first, mainly because I want to serve the Filipino youth. And that is education. And that's what I repeatedly tell my team. I mean, if it's if it's for other items, I don't think education would be the best option for me, right? But okay. because really is the love for our Filipino youth, that one very clear. I'm willing to make any personal sacrifice for that cost. So that that's that's a first one. Second is passion is great, but if you don't have the skill set <laughs> to make things happen, right. then it would still not be a good winning formula. So mm. I like to believe that um, the skills I've able I'm able to display display the knowledge of business management. What are the elements that we need to actually uh, directly control of so that results will be there. And not just displaying those skills, but making sure that I'm able to pass it on um, so that the knowledge gets spread, um, not just to the mancom level, but all the way up to the last member of the team. So those would be, I would say, the two main items that I carried on to make sure that 
I'm not just credible enough to be the leader of education, but I'm also prepared to make sure that the kind of changes we bring is the one that we also need. Okay, now I'll, uh, let's let's ask you some paid forward questions for the for the <laughs> leaders also listening uh, to this. So you've developed such a diverse skill set, you know, uh, through so many stops. And again, I, I've, I've you're you're the most competent and also most passionate in the team. I can already tell about solving this problem. But in terms of leadership style, right? What does it take, and how did you tailor fit? That leadership style over time again, you had to before you had to worry about culture, being able to do that. But in a startup, it's totally different too. What how did you now develop that leadership style? And what would be your advice for startup founders who's also just trying to develop that leadership style to create or, or to implement in their startups? So I would say my leadership style is still evolving at this stage. Okay. Um, I think. Well, first, I'm a first-time CEO. So this is my seventh month uh, as a CEO. So there's still a lot of things that I'm learning. First, what I tried to do was like making sure that there's open discussion. Like I'm fine if you're disagreeing to this, but I also want to know exactly what's your rationale for disagreeing. So it's really making sure that it's not just being heard, but also to make sure that the blind spots get uncovered as early as possible. So that was that was really my uh, my first agenda. Like even if uh, you you disagree, I wanna hear it still and give me the full rationale of it. And I want to make sure that it's not just me who hears it, but the entire team. So that, that was that was really the first. Um, style, I would say that I've practiced, especially because education has been here for six years. So just mm-hmm. imagine the history of like the failures and successes that we don't know. I, I this is just my second year of in education, so obviously right. four years ahead of me, there were a lot. So I, I want to make sure that we are of the same base knowledge, understanding of what we've learned. So that that was the first. But I also know that it took some time because for us to completely understand all those different points of view, it mm. takes time before we get to a decision and to an implementation. So that one, I'm still now learning. How do we make sure that we pick up the learning but not take this much of a time uh, so that we could get to a decision? So, so for me... That's one change that I'm managing right now, um, that we pick up the learning, but at the same time, we should be fast to pick up that learning so we decide faster. So so that's first. Second is the admission that the buck ends on me. So I should be very comfortable to make that decision and not wait for a consensus. So no. consensus is the worst thing in a startup. I'm sorry. And I've learned this in this, uh, tr- this book called Trillion Dollar Coach. If you do consensus, you're going to end up with a mediocre uh, yeah. thing. You always have to get the best option. And sometimes you have to be despotic about that. And, and that's what I'm learning right now. So, so I'm already shifting from, from like, okay, tell me everyone's learning. From like, okay, this is what we know right now. This is my direction. Go ahead. And me being comfortable that my direction is the direction. So, so I'm, I'm at that stage of being completely comfortable in, at that kind of leadership. And yeah, and right now I could see that I just need to make sure that I'm consistently practicing that 
then I know uh, we're going to move to a next level of growth again. That's great. Okay, last couple of questions. At this stage now, you know, you've been through a lot. What still keeps you up at night? You know, it's a totally different responsibility, payroll, everything else. <laughs> and again, the buck stopped with you. You said it verbatim. Yeah. What keeps you up at night now? Because again, as a, a startup founder, you know, most of the time, this, this, this happens on day one. And now you're, you're, you're in our shoes as well. <laughs> What's that experience like for you? Okay. So what, and it feels like that's my everyday life palaga, no? So, well, first, it really is our business financial position. Am I actually making the right decision so that the resources are allocated in the right buckets? Na talagang may ROI. So, okay. so that's on the business side. Actually, three folds shop for me. The business okay. aspect of it, the people aspect we're in, is my team at their very best? Are they actually in education, not just doing the job, but are they really finding fulfillment on what they do? And for me, that one is the heaviest. Like, yeah. even if I value it completely, I cannot always have that as my front message to the team. Because yeah. the seriousness of the business also has to be there. But my heart, actually, every time I read um, employee surveys and I hear the feedback of the team, like, we're working this hard, but like the kind of feedback uh, you hear from the team, it seems like that passion is still not getting as alive as how we want it to be. That one creates stress in me. How do I make sure that my team is not just working, but this is a career, but at the same time, a passion for them? I really want them to be at their very best. So that one really, uh, every single day, the interaction I have with my team, that's always my thought bubble when I'm speaking to them. Mm -hmm. And of course, lastly, really my passion for the youth. I feel like it's nice that we're on the education space, but what we're doing Ang dami pang dapat gawin. And right. um, that, that one alone, uh, yeah, I, I wish I could really live longer with this amount of energy every single day so that there would be more output that we could give to our Filipino youth. Yes. All right. Now, last question that I have. If someone wants to follow on a similar trajectory of career, you know, going through corporate and eventually becoming country manager, CEO, what would be your advice for them? Because again, uh, and what would what would be the things that you'd like them to learn if they want to pa- follow the career path that you you just uh, beautifully described with us today? <laughs> well, first, you you're gonna go through a journey, and my journey that's completely designed for me. So it doesn't mean that uh, for you to jump from corporate to be in a startup, it has to be a path just like how I did it. Recognize that all of us have our own unique journey. And in the journey that was designed for you, respect that and completely enjoy every step of the way, including the most difficult ones, because that one comes with learning and preparation for the big things that you will be having. So enjoy that journey. Take take to heart every learning that you will pick up. And don't forget to actually celebrate um, the milestones along yes. the way. So don't be hard on yourself. I think that's, that's what I, I learned late. Um, mm. It's nice that I went through it, went through the, the hard stuff, but I was too hard on myself also, forgetting that I'm doing a good job. I, I should have celebrated more and enjoyed um, uh, those, those milestones. So, so there, so go through it. Um, 
it's difficult, but don't forget to celebrate and and allow yourself to enjoy it uh, as well. That is amazing. Again, thank you very much, Grace, for you know uh, sharing with us your amazing hustle today. But before I let you go, invite people over. What's next for Education if they want to join your team? Or uh, what, what, what are you guys coming up with next to solve this big-ass problem about education in the Philippines? Tell us what, what, what you guys are going to be doing next and what should we look out for? Yes, um, the current school year is ending this quarter. So just imagine all the preparations now we're doing to make sure that the coming school year would be great, even if it's still on a quarantine situation for our students. Yeah. Um, we are building our team. So if you are very much passionate in serving our Filipino youth through education, um, I really want to get to know you. What's your story and what exactly do you want to contribute? So feel free to jump into our website that's education.ph and you will see details of um, available things that you could do and how you could contact us that is amazing but before I let you go follow us on whatever podcast app and you're listening to that whether Spotify Apple Podcast Google Podcast if we did say some jargon don't worry we will also educate you we have our show notes on hustleshare.com. And lastly, if you're gonna be if you wanna be part of how we grow the show, we're gonna be releasing new types of content now. It's gonna be the Hustle Share community on Facebook. And lastly, also, if you wanna suggest a guest, like Grace, you know, amazing, amazing hustler, message us on our chatbot at m.me slash hustleshare powered by chatbot.ph. Again, Grace, thank you very much. Salamat then. I enjoyed this. All right, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.